Welcome, everyone. I hope you guys didn't get confused with our front entrance. Um, most of you guys did rebel and continue to go this way. For the next couple of weeks, we're, we're trying to do a front entrance because uh, being in a school, is we're so blessed to be here and we're just trying to make do with what we have. And instead of this being the lobby area, the welcome area, the worship area, we, we kind of wanted to spread it out a little bit. And so during the Easter season, so this week, next week in Easter, we're going to be using the front entrance. So if you're on a welcome team from any of those days, heads up. Um, and uh, who knows what will happen after that, but we do know the next three weeks we're going to do that, and unless our custodian tells us otherwise. <laughs> but we are in springtime officially, and I know that there's snow. I was looking where we're going to have our Easter egg hunt. There's a big snow pile, so feel free to go over there and start shoveling around so we would be freed up next week. But it is spring, and we are shifting towards our Easter series, and it's just going to be a three-week series, and we're going to be looking at the questions, three questions that Jesus asked after his resurrection. Jesus was the master of asking questions. To be honest with you, we have lost this skill as a society. If we do not like to ask questions. If you're in a conversation, and I don't know if it's because the digital age, right, where it's more of you share, and then I'm just going to wait for my turn to share, and it's this like exchange of sharing, but it's not this, I want to know more about you. I want to know what's going on. Tell me more about that. We have lost the art of asking questions in conversations. Jesus asks questions because he cares. My friend is a, a coach, not a sports coach, more of a life coach, and he is still a pastor, but has been a pastor for a long time, and he is coaching CEOs and executives and managers of all these businesses, and he's a pastor. And so I say, what do you know about running a business? How are you coaching these like high-level management people? And he said, is, I'm not. He's like, I'm not telling him what to do. I'm just asking questions. I'm just asking the right questions. There's a quote that says, a great coach doesn't give answers Instead, they ask powerful questions to unlock and surface a better way forward. We serve a God who is the great coach. In all the Gospels, Jesus asked 307 questions. Some scholars say he really only answered three. He asked questions because he cares. I want to unlock and I want to surface a better way forward. My dad, who passed away eight years ago, was the master of asking questions. And this is one that thing that I miss the most about my father, was that he would, his love language was quality time. And so he would make time to meet for lunch quite often. And he would sit down and he would genuinely ask questions. How is this going? How's the church going? How is this friend doing? How is Kate doing? How are the kids doing? And he would just bombard him with questions. And at the time, I might have thought it was a little bit annoying, but I look back at it and I'm like, oh man, I miss that so much because he asked questions because he cared about me. 
If you uh, were a friend of mine and my dad uh, met you, he would ask you questions. And not only did he ask questions, but he remembered the last time. Hey, last time we talked, you were talking about a job transition. How is that going? You talked about going to school. How is that going? He would follow up. And I think this is one of the ways we can truly um, tell if somebody cares about you is are they asking you questions or are they just waiting for their turn to tell you about their life? Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the first question. This is John chapter 20, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 18. John 20, 11 through 18. And this is after Jesus has been resurrected, but yet nobody knows he's resurrected. This is Easter morning that this takes place. So Jesus was on the cross, he was crucified, and then he rose again. And this is when the news first gets out. Verse 11. Now Mary, this is Mary Magdalene, not Mary the mother of Jesus. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Lord, we come in your presence right now, Jesus. As Mary was perplexed, confused, Jesus, as many of our, us are right now, our circumstances are causing us to weep and we can't see you, Lord. Would this moment, would this time together reveal that you are actively working and responding to our emotions? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So back to my, my father. Um, when I was in ninth grade, I... I'm a big basketball player. This is my thing. I'm a baller. I love basketball. To the point where I always tell people, hey, I chose to be a pastor and not play in the NBA. I sleep better at night when I have that perspective that this was a choice. You know, I could have been in the NBA, but I chose not to. To the point where, actually, three days ago, I was playing with Emmy, my nine-year-old, and she's like, hey, Dad, you know, when are you going to go in the NBA? And I'm like, oh, Emmy, I'm, I'm, I'm too old. And she's like, no, you're not, Dad. You can do it. So like, you know what? I could, Emmy, but I'm deciding not to. So I love basketball, and when my school is very similar to the Triton District, where there was four towns I fed into one high school, and I, I went to Winnicott High School, go Warriors, and, I, and when I was in Hampton, I was top dog, I was a captain of my team, I, I, was, I was crushing it, but then when we filtered all the schools into one, I was kind of the last man on the bench. 80 kids tried out for the freshman team alone, and I did make it, but I was probably the 14th out of 15 that made it. 
And I remember being so upset that I would often cry myself to sleep because I felt like this is a passion of mine that I'm not being able to do what I feel like I'm able to do. The, the coach is not playing me. I might could be better, all these things. I had yet to reach puberty, so I was still like 5'2". And so it was just a very frustrating. And I would, would get very, very emotional. And I remember one night, and, and my dad comes into my room, and I don't know if he said this this specific question, but it was in the realm of, why are you crying? Andy, why are you crying? And so I just unleashed. I'm better than this. They're not giving me a plane. And it just went on. Maybe some of you parents have felt like that with your kids, with sports, or with anything to do with extra activities. And our gut reaction is, as a father, I'm going to go and I'm going to fix this. I'm going to go and speak to their teacher. I'm going to go and speak to their coach. I'm going to change the situation. I'm going to demand playing time. I'm going to demand this. I'm going to demand that. But see, my dad, unknown to me, I don't know. I believe he didn't do this. You can ask my mom. Maybe he did it behind my back. But he didn't do this. Instead, he became more present in my life. And he would take me to the gym. We had the key to the church gym. And he would take me. On rainy days when I couldn't play out in the driveway, he would take me and my mom would take me to basketball camps, would charter me around to different leagues. My dad even enrolled me into a blue chip camp. I'm like, Dad, I'm not even playing for my high school team. How in the world am I going to play for scouts? So he's like, no, Andy, I, I think you should do this. And by my senior year, not only was I starting, but I got over 20-plus letters from D3 colleges. Now, it's just D3, mind you. My dad made these tapes of the little playing time, and he sent them to college. He, he sent them to Duke and UNC. <laughs> like, like, Dad, there's just no way. So you never know. I'm like, yeah, I know. This is not going to happen. But that was how he was present. And I could say, looking back, that that was a success. And so when he asked, why are you crying, he responded, not to change the situation, but to change his position in our life. Jesus asks because he cares, and he responds to our answers. I think so many of us in this prayer season, we talked about prayer. We think that our prayers are very similar. If you ever watched The Office, right, with Dwight and Jim, they have this rivalry going on. And Dwight is constantly writing complaints about Jim. Sends him to the HR, to Toby, where Toby supposedly sends him to corporate. And that one episode where he finds out that corporate is a box under his desk, he freaks out and ends up quitting. I think a lot of us think that our, uh, our, our complaints are not received, that they just get tucked away somewhere and they never get to the Father. I'll just vent a little bit. But no, I want you to understand that Jesus is actually asking you why you are crying. And this is not a sarcastic cry. As a father, I do this all the time. They come in from the trampoline. We got a new trampoline for Christmas. They come in. One of them is always crying. And so I say very sarcastically, why are you crying? I don't see blood. I don't see bones sticking out. Why are you crying? And, you know, I, you know, God, I need to judge my heart. This is not good for me. But I genuinely, what, I, what I'm trying to do, I'm asking the question to process, is this worthy of a cry or not? 
This is what I'm doing. Parents, you know, you know the drill. Why are you crying? Well, he took blah, 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 where she did this, where she called. She looked at me funny. <laughs> and you're like, ah, that's, that is not justify the cry. When I was in student ministry, I would tell myself that I needed to respond to the re- emotions of students, not the circumstances of students. This has been a, a mantra of mine, and it has helped me. I remember specifically, and I've mentioned this story before, but I came in, and there's a student, she's bawling her eyes out, and I said, why are you crying? I just broke up with my boyfriend. How long have you guys been together? Two weeks. Tell me about your relationship. What did you guys like to do for fun? Well, we never hung out. We just texted. Okay. But he was the one, and she's just bawling. And what I would like to say is, Get over it. You think this is bad? You just wait until you have a real relationship. This is not worthy of your cry. Get yourself up. Let's go. And no. I said, okay. I, I did have to like, okay, that's really hard. <laughs> but the hope is this. Enter into the emotion to give them a better perspective of the circumstance. This is exactly what Jesus does with us. Why are you crying? He enters it in with Mary and to give her a perspective. But I believe that the church is similar to a league of their own where there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in Christianity. There's no crying in the church. And I've heard story after story of Christians or people losing their faith because people have dismissed their emotions. People will say, well, God works all things for good. I get that, but right now it's pretty bad. I'm battling with depression. No need. Jesus is risen. I'm grieving the loss of a loved one. Oh, that's okay. They're in a better place right now. I'm feeling lonely. Jesus is your best friend. And what we do is we don't come to the conclusion that we live in a broken world. Can we just acknowledge that for a moment? If you're here and you're thinking, things feel like they shouldn't be like this. Well, you are absolutely correct. (laughs) Things were not meant to be like this. It's not supposed to be like this. When God created the world, he created it perfect. He created it with no brokenness, no sin. And we, as humanity, really messed it up. So the world is broken. Even Jesus cried when his friend Lazarus died. Even though he knew he was going to raise him up later that afternoon, he wept. He wept because he saw his friends weep. He wept because he realized, well, not did he realize, he wept because he was human and he was in a broken world. So when Jesus asks, why are you crying? Tell him. Rant. Get mad. He can handle it. He's not soft. Tell him, Jesus, this is hard. This is, I'm lonely. I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm struggling. This is what Mary did. They have taken my Lord. She's upset because she thought her friend, the man that saved her from a demonic possession, who she had spent the last few years with, the body had been taken. And it's hard enough that 
she got to see him crucified. Now the body's gone and she is just flooded with grief. His body has been stolen. It's okay to feel the brokenness of this world. But, but there is hope. In fact, if you look at our tears, our physical tears, they've put them under a microscope. And do you know that our tears, based on why they are produced, look differently under a microscope? So I have them here, the first one. This is a tear that if you look at a fan for too long, this is what your tear looks like. Tears, after looking into a fan for a little, I don't do that, but my kids still do that. You know, when they're like, uh, blah, 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 you know, and it gets. Now, when you're cutting an onion, this happened a couple days ago. Kate was making a, um, an amazing uh, chili, and Blake like, comes out crying, and I did the sarcastic, why are you crying? She's like, oh, mommy's making onions. This is what that looks like. Tears from cutting an onion looks like. Now, here's the thing. Now, tears from an emotion, tears from crying, this is what it looks like. Now, if you're listening on a podcast, what you're looking at is a bunch of little crosses in your tear. And here's what I think is so fascinating about this, is that when we grieve the broken world, we need to remember that Jesus was broken for the world. When we grieve the broken world, remember that Jesus was broken for the world. In our session, Who is Jesus? I had mentioned um, every morning, still, every morning when I wake up, I am over flooded with grief, with loss, with the acknowledgement that we live in a broken world. And I have to like take a moment and I will read scripture, I will pray, and I have to reorient myself to remember that Jesus, is broken, Jesus was broken for us. It's a daily reminder. This is not a, hey, I accepted Jesus 10 years ago, and now I, I don't need to, uh, to worry about crying or being sad, even though I'm depressed, even though I'm lonely, even though I'm, I'm, uh, I'm struggling with a loss of someone. It, no, it's a daily thing that we have to go through. It's, sometimes it's a, an hourly thing. For some, it's, it's every minute. That when you get overflooded with grief, we need to realize that Jesus has come to redeem the world. But Mary couldn't recognize Jesus because her grief had blinded her. Jesus was right there, and she thought that he was a gardener. Why are you crying? Well, they've taken my Lord. This happens in our house a lot with my kids when they are just in that mode. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about, where they just get so emotional that it doesn't matter what you do. They're just like freaking out. <laughs> and our solution is just to put them in the door and lock it. Some of our doors don't tell anyone we've reversed the lock so that we can actually lock them in. And it's like this idea, right, that like we just need to let them go in, until they have eyes to see. The other day, Blake's like, you know, Emmy stole my stuffy, my stuffy. And I had the stuffy in my hand. And I'm like, Blake. She's like, no, 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 she stole my stuffy, blah, blah, blah. I hate her, blah, blah, blah. Like, Blake. And I had to throw the stuffy at him and hit him. It is right here. Why? Because our grief can blind us from Jesus. We can get so caught up in our emotions that we feel to see Jesus standing right behind us. 
And that's why Jesus asked the second question, who is it that you are looking for? Often we are looking for the wrong thing. Mary was looking for a dead body. How many of you are looking for things that are dead? For example, the past. I want to go back to how things were. They no longer exist. Isaiah 43, 19, this is what Isaiah says, Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? Even Mary, when she saw Jesus alive, she still hung on to the past. I think Mary thought maybe, hey, Jesus, you're back. Let's go back on the road. Let's go back to uh, uh, teaching and preaching. Maybe this is the time where you're going to overthrow Rome. You know, let's do this thing and let's get the gang back together. Let's go get all the disciples minus Judas because, you know, Judas is, you know, you know. But let's get everybody. Let's keep going. And I think she, that's what she probably had thought when she would grabbed him and held on to him. But remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. What Jesus is saying is things have changed. Things have changed. But here's the thing, that change is a good thing, though change is hard. Jesus is saying things aren't the way they are. Later he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And then he says, you're going to do greater things than I I am making everything new in Revelations 21. And depending on your current search situation, this can be amazing or this can be hard. A lot of people say, I don't want you to change anything. I just want you to tweak things. <laughs> so the job that I have, could you make it better? The marriage that I have, could you make that better? Could you tweak this situation? Could you just come in? But don't radically change things. So when you hear Jesus I'm making everything new, it's like, I don't want everything new. I just kind of want a new paint job. Or I think many people maybe re are relieved to hear that. <laughs> maybe you're in a position where I am looking for things to change. I am looking for the newness. If things are good, then maybe you don't want something new. But if things are bad, you say, yes, bring it on. Let me just tell you this. The new thing that Jesus has done is so much better than what was before. With Jesus' resurrection has given us hope, has given us life, has given us the spirit, has given us life eternal. Jesus radically changed everything. Do you have eyes to see it? And I believe Jesus is asking you, why are you crying? What is it that's grieving you? And like Mary, could we have eyes to see that Jesus is right there beside you? I think the biggest identity crisis is not that we don't know who we are. A lot of people say it's not who you are, but whose you are. And I think that's totally appropriate, and that is huge. But I also think we fail to recognize that Jesus knows you by name and knows you intimately. He knows your limits. He knows what you need before you need them. He calls you by name. 
When he calls Mary's name, that's when her eyes could see that it was Jesus. I know you, I love you, and I'm with you. So when you're crying, could you picture Jesus saying your name? Saying your name, Andy. The world is broken, and I'm going to enter into your grief, but remember that my body was broken for the world. And just imagine him saying, I know, and I'm here. And could we start changing our perspective? So Connor's going to come up, and he's going to play a little bit, and I want you guys to answer these questions. And you can do this two ways. One, you can do it by yourself. Time for you, the Lord. One of the things that I hear the most when people talk about prayer life is that they don't have the time to pray. Today, you don't have that excuse. (laughs) Spend three, four minutes praying as if Jesus is asking you, why are you crying? Or what is it that you're grieving right now? Could be grieving the loss of someone or something. Could be the grieving of a decision that is yet to be made. So why are you crying? What is it that's grieving? If you want, if you don't want to do it alone, you can do it with someone around you. Feel free to pray with people next to you, um, whether it's a friend, a family, or a stranger. You, you can do that as well. Um, that is okay. You can say, why are you crying? What did you write? Or you can do it alone. Either way, it's up to you. But I really want you to have this perspective that Jesus is asking you this question. And then the second question is this. Where do you see Jesus? Where do you see Jesus in it? Because he's there. He's there. He's in it. He's with you. We just need to have eyes to see. Because I think so many times we think, well, he's taking our body. He's gone. And I'm just crying like Mary because I am grieving the loss of what was or loss of a friend. But he's right there. So ask yourself, where is Jesus in this? And if you don't know, ask Jesus, where are you in this? <laughs> ask him. And maybe he'll call you by your name. Mary, I'm right behind you. So we're going to take some time and we're going to do that. Let me close us in prayer. Lord, you are a God who cares and enters into our place of grief enters our emotions. Lord, we live in a broken world. It's not supposed to be like this, Jesus. And one day, it will not be like this. It will be new. And so, Lord, as we answer that question of why we're crying, Jesus, give us eyes to see that you're right here. Give us a perspective to see that though our world is broken, you were broken for our world. You are a God who is bigger than our situation, our circumstances. You're a God who is bigger than our emotions. You can handle it, Lord. You can handle when we rant. We can, you can handle when we get angry. You can ha- handle when we get so overwhelmed with emotions that we just can't see you, nor can we see anything, Lord. You can handle it, Lord, but would you call us by our name. I'm right here.
I've been risen, says Jesus. I'm doing a new thing, far better than anything you could ever imagine, Jesus.